Okay, so we are going to be continuing this morning our series on John. I think we're nearly at the end. I don't know about you, but I have loved going through this book of John. I think it's been absolutely brilliant. And for me, I've taken a lot away and, and really, um, I feel, learnt a lot, not just about myself, but about my walk with God and about how the, the wonderful Word of God can show me new things about who I am in him. We're going to be looking at um, John 17. Um, so I'm almost doing a second part of last week. Uh, Pete looked at John, first half of John 17 last week, and I'm going to be looking at the second part of John 17. And it's going to be John 17, verses 20 to 26. And before I do that, I'm just going to pray for us. Father, we thank you that you are here by your Spirit. Thank you that you've already been speaking to us this morning through our worship. Thank you that you are a God who is alive, that you are a God who speaks. And I just pray that you would use the words I speak now to speak into our hearts about who you are, what you want us to learn from this word that we're going to share today. I just pray, help us to be sensitive to your spirit. Help us to be led in our hearts and our minds to a greater understanding of who you are and your plan for our lives. Amen. Okay, so John 17, verses 20 to 26. My prayer is not for them alone. So here in John 17, Jesus has time on his own. It's after he's had the, the Passover meal, he's been with his disciples. And this is just before he heads off with his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. And here he is, he's prayed for himself, he's prayed to God, his Father for himself, he's prayed for his disciples. And here he is praying for all the believers. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. There's something 
very reassuring and really precious that here we have Jesus, the Son of God, the, the moments before he goes on trial before the, um, the Jewish authorities, here he is offering up prayers for people like you and me, people that have believed in Jesus since Jesus rose from the dead and went to be in heaven. Now, whether you're a believer here today in Jesus or you're, you're just here because you've been invited or you've just come along, I think that there's something in this prayer that Jesus has prayed for all of us this morning. I believe there's something that God would want to say to you as an individual about his desire for your life this morning. Now today, I want to draw out what God would say through this passage to us about unity. The unity that exists in God, but also the unity that exists within the uh, church, the body of Christ. The concept of unity and the desire to achieve unity is everywhere. And it's been evident for many generations. A slide should now come up which shows different aspects of unity that we may know of. First of all, obviously, our national flag, the Union Jack. It's the uniting of three great nations, the great nations of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, combined across St. George, St. Andrew, and St. Patrick. Uniting our nation. The Olympic rings are a symbol of unity. The designer who um, designed it in, back in 1912, he said the six colours, including the flag's white background, which um, wasn't on the slide, but it combines in a way to reproduce the colours of every country without exception that was represented in that first Olympic Games. The unity of the nations um, competing against each other in the Olympic Games. And finally, what's the last thing up there? It's the United States emblem, or their seal, if you like, um, which they use. Now, there is some Latin written on the seal. Does anyone know what the Latin might say? Anybody? No. It says, uh, a pluribus uh, unum, which is Latin for out of many comes one, is the um, meaning of that Latin phrase. So here we have a nation, a uniting of 50 states to produce the United States of America. So we see unity everywhere. So many have strived for unity over the years, but there is a Christian unity that displays something far greater and much deeper reaching and has eternal ramifications that I want to look, us to, want to look at today through this passage um, in John. So first of all, I want us to consider the unity in God and how God draws us into that unity, the unity of the Godhead. Jesus prays that they will also be in us in verse 21. I pray that um, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. So I want us to look at that 
this morning, I also want us to look at the unity that Jesus would have us to know and enjoy with each other. It says in verse 21 again that all of them may be one, that all of them that believe in Jesus may be one, that we would be one. And I want us to look at how we achieve that unity and how we move closer to that complete unity that Jesus goes on and talk about in verse 23. May they be brought to complete unity. So first of all, let's look at the unity of God. We see very clearly from Scripture that there is a oneness to God. But there's a mysterious fact that in that oneness that God is three persons, that he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To understand how the Father is in Jesus and how Jesus is in the Father, it's extremely difficult for us to comprehend. And theologians have tried to explain it for many years. We try with images such as um, the three natural states of water. We've got ice, water, and steam, and they all obviously are different ways of making water. You've got the three aspects of the, the things that su- the sun gives out. You've got heat, light, and radiation. And the one I read this week, which I've never come across, is a mathematical one, which, um, which made me smile a lot. Um, and that is that it's not one plus one plus one, because one plus one plus one is three, but it's one times one times one. Have you heard that one before? Okay, there you go, I'm catching up. So one times one times one is one, because God is one. So he's three persons, each of these persons distinct. Each of these persons is fully God, yet they make up the one true living God. John Piper, uh, commenting on God's oneness, says this. He says, the oneness of God is not simply a statement that there is only one true God, but also a statement that this God has a unity, a coherence to his identity. That is, he is what he is and not what we make of him. He has identity in himself. He's not inconsistent or schizophrenic. He does not have contradictory personalities. All his characteristics cohere in one unified being. He makes himself known as who he is. He is one. The Trinity is not a contradiction. Each person, each of the three persons of the Trinity is eternal, yet has a very distinct and different function within the Godhead. Now, for me, there's something very profound and very reassuring that God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit are in this unity, this complete agreement with each other, and complete acceptance of each other, and complete love for each other. You know, there's something quite amazing about the fact that there's this unity that exists in the Godhead, where they love each other with a perfect love, and they're totally accepting each other, that we almost, we seek to understand, and I think God wants us to understand more this morning about what it means to know what it is to be in that kind of relationship. The oneness and unity of God, John makes reference to it many times in this gospel. 
In John 10.30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. In John 49, it says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Making a reference to what is in Jesus is in the Father, what is in the Father is in the Son. And John 12.45, when a man looks at me, Jesus, referring to Jesus, he sees the one who sent me. So the three parts of the Trinity, distinct in their functions, Jesus was obedient to the Father when he died on the cross for you and me. But he remains 100% equal in value in who he is in being God. Now God operates and exists in this perfect unity within the three. And the wonderful thing we see from this passage is that God invites each one of us to join him in this wonderful unity that exists. God invites us to be part of this loving unity that exists in the Godhead. And I think that's amazing. That is awesome that God invites us to be with him. I pray, he says here, I pray that they um, may be one with us. We're invited to join the union of God by believing in Jesus as being the source of this wonderful opportunity to share in the perfect oneness that exists in God. As we believe and trust in Jesus, we can share in this too. What a privilege to be invited to share in the divine glory of God himself. Jesus says, I have want to give them my glory that they will know my glory and know it for ourselves verse 22 i have given them the glory that you gave me god's glory is available to us as his followers you know that is amazing as a child of god as a chosen son and daughter our eyes have been opened to the wonderful depths of the ocean of god's love that exists between the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is a perfect love that flows from one to another, a love that exists, a love that is the very essence of God, that existed before the creation of the world, before life itself even existed. Love operated between the Trinity, the Godhead. As we choose to follow Jesus, this flow of love also exists for you and me. The Father loves you, that he sent his only son to die on the cross, that you may trust in him. We've been singing about it this morning. In return, we love him. We trust him. We trust in his leading and his eternal purposes and plans. You know, there are 76 references in the New Testament that tell us what it means to be in Christ what it means to be in Jesus, to know what it is to be in his, to part of his family, united with him. There are 76 references. And they talk about the wonderful uh, inheritance that we have as children of God. We have an inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade. We have an inheritance that is ours to claim, to live in, to walk in each and every day. That is wonderful, people. We have an inheritance. 
Can I encourage you to look up those 76 references as being in Christ? We can walk in freedom. We can walk in victory. We can walk knowing that we are loved. Nothing can take that away. There is a love that exists in the Trinity that is available for each one of us. As we, I don't know about you, but this morning it was here in this room. That love is available to each one of us. And it exists and we need to receive it and just walk in it. God's identity, as John Piper read earlier, is in himself. He is secure. He is fully secure in who he is. But he's inviting us into his um, security, his sense of worth. You know, one of the words in the worship this morning that really came through for me was he is worthy. He has a worth, a value that we can just honour and walk in and know and love. When we worship him, we receive that, some of that. Because we receive honour because we are his children. We are worthy because we are his. You are worthy if you are a child of God because he, his seal of approval is on you. And it means you can do amazing things in the power of the Holy Spirit because his identity is now your identity. Do you believe that? We are loved as much as the Father loves the Son. He loves you as much as he loves Jesus. (laughs) Does that not get you? It really gets me. I just think, really? Really? But he does. He loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Jesus loves you as much as he loves the Father. So there's unity, there's oneness in God, and God invites us to share in that unity. If you've never considered this as for you, if you've never considered an invite that God has for you to share in this place with God, then today you could take that step to walk into it. Today... You can make a decision to follow Jesus. And can I encourage you, it would be the best decision you will ever make. Knowing God through Jesus. To receive Jesus into your life. To give your life to follow him and receive this love that he has for you is a matter of praying a prayer and receiving Christ into your heart. Choosing to follow him. So as God is united, as God is one, he encourages us, as his followers, to be united with him. He encourages us as believers to also be one. My prayer is not for them alone. My prayer is that all of them may be one. As it says in verse 21. Now what Jesus I want to unpack this first of all. And what Jesus is referring to in this passage, he's not referring to organisational unity. I read an interesting uh, quote about um, how organisations seek and aim for unity and how unity can be a very um, good way of of achieving success for a business, for organisations. But... Jesus isn't referring to that in this passage. What Jesus is referring to is unity of heart, a oneness 
of heart. A unity that proclaims Jesus as the way, the truth, and the satisfier of our deepest heart's desire. A oneness of heart, where the central oneness is Jesus himself. A unity that is centred on personal relationship with each other that allows each and every one of us to function in a way God has called you to be. God has called each one of us to be part of the body of his church. He's called us to be part of his church. And unity that he's calling us to is one where we operate within what God's called us to. A unity that exists within the Godhead, Jesus is praying for us as his believers. Verse 23, I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity. Complete unity. It's not half unity. It's not a fraction. It's a whole, 100%. Complete. The New Living Translation talks about a perfect unity. As God is perfect, he's drawing us, wants us to enjoy unity. And if he said it and he's praying it, what Jesus is Jesus' prayer. It's not like one of our prayers. Sometimes we have mixed motives when we pray. But this is Jesus, and he's praying that we, as his church, as his body, would have perfect unity. Perfect. And a perfect unity is surely a unity like what exists within God himself, within God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, what does this look like, you may ask? What does it look like to have perfect unity, a oneness of heart where we are outworking and answering, if you like, Jesus' prayers here? Well, first of all, we need to know Jesus Christ for ourselves. We need to know him as our Lord. We need to receive him as our saviour. We need to have faith in his salvation, that he is our friend and has the wonderful plan for our lives. That Jesus opens a door to his eternal glory. It says here, to see my glory, the glory you have given me. Knowing Jesus is a wonderful decision, wonderful thing to know him as your Lord and Saviour. That's the first thing. Secondly, to know what it is to be one, we need to demonstrate love to each other. We need, love is the very essence, the very substance of God, and where we demonstrate love to each other, then I believe we will be answering Jesus' prayer here. We will be united in Christ. Now, love is more than just a feeling. Love is more than just um, a few words. Love is actions. Love is about going beyond ourselves where we value and accept the person whom we're loving in a way that actually can be costly. Our unity is observed as we love other people. People will see the glory of God 
as we seek to honour and value each other. Now, how do we do that? (laughs) This is the hard bit. Because if we get this right, not only will we uh, begin as individuals to walk in all that God has for us, as individuals we will experience the joy of living in the love of Christ, love of God, but we will also see people come to faith. People will be drawn to the truth of the gospel, the beauty and the wonder of his love in a broken, fallen world. And the reason I say that is because here in verse 21, Jesus says, May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That the world would believe that you have sent me. There is something about when we love each other, when in a way that goes beyond ourselves, people will see the glory of God at work in us. And they will only be able to attribute it to Jesus, to God. Because I'm telling you, I know, I find it difficult. And so when we love people in a way that is costly, people will see the glory of God in us and they will believe in Jesus. They will come to faith. So my encouragement to us is to be united so that the world may believe in the one whom Jesus the Father has sent. True love is costly, but the rewards are divine. Love cost God everything as he sent his son to the cross. But look at the wonderful rewards that he has. You and me, children so numerous as the sand on the shore. Now, love, as I've alluded to for one another, is not easy. In fact, that's probably why Jesus prays this prayer. He knows how weak and easily distracted we can be. And I'm going to share um, sort of a personal testimony, really, of this, if you like, inaction. About a month, maybe even more ago, six weeks, I was praying in my personal um, devotion time, um, praying through some um, challenges, and I'd been lent a book on a personal revival. Um, and it was a small paperback book. And if you want to know what it is, do ask me afterwards. But in this, chap- in this book, there's a chapter which was referring to 1 Corinthians 13. And I'm sure uh, most of us know that chapter quite well. Um, I'm just going to turn to it now. So 1 Corinthians 13. And in 1 Corinthians 13, there's a section where it talks about love is. And, um, and when I was reading this book, I felt sort of stirred, if you like, as I was praying, to go through each statement of this chapter, um, particularly, um, yeah, no, so I went through each statement, and I looked at the opposite. So, for example, love is patient. And I looked at, well, okay, when am I impatient? And um, I, then I'd, I'd pray about it, and then I'd allow the Holy Spirit, if you like, to sort of prompt me where areas where I've been impatient. And then I would um, confess and, and repent and, and um, you know, and, and, and pray about it. So I was going through the list and feeling quite good about myself because I felt like I was cleaning myself up, if you like. And, um, and then I got to um, 
So it goes, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking. And when I got to it is not, love is not self-seeking, I asked God, okay, as I did with the others, God revealed to me where I am selfish. And before I got to the end of my prayer, I just broke down in tears, which for me really surprised me because I thought, you know, I was doing all right up to that point. And I think for me, um, I'd realised at that moment that actually I was quite a selfish person. A lot of the decisions that I've made through my life had been out of my desire to satisfy myself. And now, as we go through life, you know, we have lots of mixed motives for doing things. But for me, at this moment, it was a complete revelation that I um, had been living a lot of myself, my life, uh, for myself. And so it's like the penny dropped, and it was like a blind spot spot had been opened up in my own life. And I was really sort of, um, as, I, as, you, as I explained, just really broken by it. And for me, it was a game changer, because I feel like I look at life through different eyes now. I look at life through eyes of, hold on a minute, you know, is, am I doing this out of a, a selfish motive, or am I doing it because actually I want to bless or I want to love this person? I feel as a result of it, I'm able to love people better. And my encouragement um, to each of us is to perhaps look at areas of our own lives where we might need to give to God. Each one of us is on a different journey. For me, it's learning to die, if you like, to selfish desires in order to serve and love family and friends and those around me. As I um, step back a bit more and give God um, more space, if you like, in my plans and agenda, I'm finding that he's opening doors of opportunity which would never be there if I'd have just ploughed on with my own agenda. So how about you? How does unity within the body of believers look like in your life? How are you able to outwork unity here at Sutton Family Church? So, why is unity so important? So I want us to just move on to look at why it's so important. Hopefully that some of that has already come across already. But what is it about unity that Jesus feels so strongly about? That just before he goes to the cross, he makes a request, a petition to his father for his followers, for those of us that follow him to be united. And again, I've alluded to this, but it says in verse 22, so the world may believe that you have sent me, to let the world know that you sent me, it says in both verse 22 and 23. Now for me, this is the clincher. This is the reason we work at, we make every effort to be united as the body of believers. That people will see the reality of Jesus, the truth behind. 
if you like, this rabble of Christ followers. You know, we're all different. We're all from different walks of life, yet we're united by Jesus. We're God's chosen vessel, his chosen vehicle, his messengers of this wonderful good news to the people of the world. As people see us, they will form an opinion of who God is, who Jesus is. Jesus has chosen to reveal himself through you and me. You know, that in some ways is quite a responsibility, that we are God's vehicle. He's he's chosen to use us. But what a privilege of this God, this infinite, eternal God, has chosen to use me and you to proclaim his message to the people of the world. And I would encourage us to make our goal to grow in our understanding of what it means to be united with Christ, united with God, but also to grow in our love for one another, in our love for each other, in how we would demonstrate that and outwork it to each other and all those who know and follow Christ. Now, I want to finish with these two quotes. Um, One of them is from Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, who was a preacher um, 150 years ago or so. And the other is from the Bible. It's always a good place to get quotes from. Spurgeon said this, Can you believe it? That you should be the object of God's delight. That you should be the object of the Father's love as truly as Christ is. Do not tell me that God the Father does not love you as well as he does Christ. The point can be settled by the grandest matter of fact that ever was. When there was a choice between Christ and his people, who should die of the two? The Father freely delivered up his own Son that we might live through him. I want you to get this right into your souls, dear friends. Do not hold it as a dry doctrine, but let it touch your heart. I'm sure he would have preached that much more straight down the line than I am. But wonderful words of truth, that it's a wonderful thing. Let it touch your heart. The Lord Jesus died that we might be born onward forever for the mighty sweep of infinite love into an everlasting blessedness which tongues and lips can never fully set forth. And then he goes on to say this, Oh, be ravished with this. Be carried away with it. Be in ecstasy at love so amazing, so divine. The Father loves you even as he loves his Son. Can you believe it? Oh, if the love of the Father to Christ once enters into a man's soul, it will change him. It will sway him with the noblest passion. It will make him a zealot for Christ. It will cast out his selfishness. It will change him into the image of Christ. Whoa. Powerful words from a a man who had grasped the wonderful love of God. And so I want to finish then with Philippians 2, verses 1 to 4. Right. So Philippians 2 says this. 
If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others above yourselves. Each of you should not look, should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Wonderful. I think God's been speaking to us a lot this morning about who he is, his love for us. And if I could just encourage the band to come back up.